0: To Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency.
1: Hi, Eleni. Hi, Jodi. Are you recording?
0: I am recording. <laughs> Natasha's recording, actually.
1: <laughs> so um, just so everybody knows, like, how the sausage gets made, um, Eleni... And Natasha and I are right now on a Zoom recording the intro for this episode, and in order to record an intro, you have to press record, and it's just sometimes we forget. So <laughs> this is really a take two, but take one for our fans. Yes. Well, Eleni, it's nice to see you.
0: It's so nice to see you. How
1: are you? How's your week? It's good because it's Friday, and I leave for spring break next week, and we're going to our favorite place in the world. Oh, where is that? Well, take a guess. I know. It's Disney. <laughs> <laughs> We're a huge Disney family and we are not apologetic about
0: it. That's amazing. There are so many like big Disney people and there's, it's, it's such, you have really like taught me so much about it and the inner workings of it that now I'm really inspired by it too.
1: I would love to see Eleni and her sisters at Disney and I want to be inspired by your fashion approach to, you know basically 12 to 15 mile days on your feet at Disney World. (laughs) So when that happens, I'm going to be tuning in. Absolutely. (laughs) You did actually inspire me to like level it up a little bit with my Rent the Runway selections. Um, So I did get like fun, I guess, they're like camp shirts, you know, like patterned, colorful, short sleeve shirts, maybe like a little baggy. Um, And I also ordered from Rent the Runway some fun shorts. So um, yeah, I'm going to try to level it up a little bit.
0: I love that. That'll make it more fun. Hopefully.
1: I actually when I'm there, I always see people who look adorable. And I'm like, you know, a sweaty mess and basically like, (laughs) gym like clothes, you know, like leggings, (laughs) and a t shirt. And I'm like, I wish I could just do Disney cute, but I just never could figure out how to make that happen.
0: Okay, well, you're gonna try it and see which one feels better.
1: Yeah. And I always have a fanny pack at Disney because it's really like the best device for carrying stuff. Like I always want to have like, my Motrin and my Tums, because if you go on a roller coaster too many times and you feel sick, the Tums really work. I always need to have my sunscreen and my sunglasses and all that stuff. And I found that it's way better than a backpack.
0: Okay. Good tip from a pro, a Disney pro for the next time I visit.
1: (laughs) Okay. So should we talk about this episode though? Yes. Who do we have coming on the show this week? Okay. This is a really good one. It's Niha Narahali and she is the head of product at Sephora. And when I say head of product, I don't mean mascara and Laplace. I mean technology. So her team is tasked with how do they make the customer experience more powerful and the partner experience more powerful through technology. So what an incredible vantage point for her to be at um, in our industry. And before this, she was doing a similar job at the biggest retailer um, in the country. So she's just been in retail and retail technology for so long and has such an incredible um, boatload of experience to share.
0: That's amazing. And SIHA was actually someone we met through, Beauty Connect, our partnership that we had with some of their events this year, which is awesome how we get to meet so many cool innovators in the space. I've actually been seeing Sephora. Well, I I will give the credit to our community engagement coordinators uh, at Base Beauty. They were sharing different insights about Sephora, you know, having a lot of stores popping up in Kohl's across the country and in Glossier, you know, this big online brand that everybody knows and loves now in brick and mortar stores with Sephora. So it's interesting to see how the brands are working together to get customers. I do love how the rules can keep being rewritten in our industry
1: now. Like when I started 20 something years ago, everything was so rigid, right? And um, now businesses really are willing to test and learn and break the rules. And I love brick and mortar and I love experiential shopping. So I'm really excited to see what can happen here.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That must be a big job. Sneha's probably a busy, busy lady.
1: Well, she is. And she has this crazy, fascinating way to... Lead a full life. And she's trained her brain this way. She thinks about it in the currency of time. So, data driven, no surprise, since she's (laughs) in technology, she thinks of it like this she wants to focus on 25% of her energy and brain space on work. And then, for example, 25% on family, 25% on health, and 25% on creative pursuits. Like she loves cooking. And I just found this so fascinating. I never heard about a balanced system like this.
0: I love seeing it written out in like number terms like that with percentages. It feels like something you could really visualize and kind of actively work towards. That's amazing. It reminds me a little bit of your bucket system, Jodi.
1: Yes, my bucket system to me is amazing, but it's not data driven. So hearing Sneha refer to her system with numbers kind of crystallized it for me and gave me a good reminder to get back to my buckets.
0: That's amazing. Great. Well, it sounds like a great episode. Uh, Should we get to it? Let's do it. Okay, this is episode 228 with Sneha Narahali, Head of Product at Sephora.
1: Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are a career journey podcast talking about what it's really like to define success and reach for it in the beauty and wellness industries. Today, we have our guest Sneha Narahali, Sephora Head of Product, where she currently leads digital stores, data and marketing technology. She has an interesting person, personal journey, and she hopes to raise a consciousness of the basic biases that women face and ensure we can not only overcome them, but also work towards eradicating them. I'm so excited to find out more, and this is episode 228. Hi, Siha. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. I just love yeah, that intro. Like We're going to have so much to, to dig into when we're talking about these biases that women face in technology. So, um, But I want to go way, way, way back in time first, okay? So indulge me since we're a career journey show and we you know, all dreamed about the jobs we'd have. Um, go back to your 10, 11-year-old self. And um, at that time, what do you want to be when you grow up?
2: I wanted to be a chef and I still want to be one. So it's not like a forgotten dream. I think eventually I do want to open my own restaurant. Um, I think growing up, I come from a very creative family. Um, Both my parents were writers. So I think that has kind of um, given me a sense of I need to be creative in everything that I do. So um, even when I think about like the restaurant that I want to work on, it needs to be like authentic. Um, And if you look at the Indian cuisine today, it's very... It's kind of limited in the sense of what Indian cuisine is supposed to be. India is so diverse, like the South Indian food that my mom makes, you really don't get it in the restaurants today. So um, it's kind of a forgotten art right now in terms of the local authentic cuisines that you find in each, everybody's home. So I think my dream one day is to open up a restaurant where you don't have to, if you've want to remember your mom, you can just go to the restaurant and have food um, that is homemade and authentic.
1: So um, when you were that, you know, preteen, teenage, um, at what point do you think you stopped pursuing that as a a first career?
2: I think when I realized, again, this could be partially because of, um, you know, in India, back when I was studying, there were very typical journeys of you become a doctor or you become an engineer. Basically, you pick a career which is financially stable. That's like your first goal. And then creativity, art and all of that is a hobby. It can't be like a full-time career because um, you can't afford to like live a lifestyle with an art career. I mean, that was the perception back then, which has changed dramatically right now. Um, My dad, he took an early retirement and he pursued writing as a career, which was kind of um, eye opening for me that you can still have a sustainable life without having to go through the traditional path of being a doctor and an engineer. So I think right now, if I look at like my life and how I prioritize things um, within what's important for me, work is just like 25% of my entire life right? So I have like another 25% for family, 25% for health. And this other 25% is what I want to do. Be be it like writing, cooking, whatever it is, that's still a very equal and important part of what my whole life tends to be. So which is kind of like how my journey
1: has been while I've realized what's important for me. I love how you've um, looked at your whole self and you identified um, your career, your current career is 25% of it. And I find that really fascinating, because I think a lot of people would say it's like 80% of theirs, right, that there's very little left leftover. Um, and I don't know that I've ever actually thought about it as like pieces of a pie, right, like my, my whole self. So I wonder, I bet a lot of our listeners actually are thinking like, is it really true? Like, are you know, is this t- about the time you spend is 25% or is it where your heart is? Like, you know, how do you, um, I guess, attain this balance? Cause it does sound very balanced.
2: For me, it's where I prioritize my brain cells and my brain power, right? Because if you, if you go from it from a time perspective, like you are at your productivity in a certain period of time. And during that time, if you are focusing on work, you can't have like divide 24 hours in a day to like four parts and say, I'm going to focus on each one of these. It's basically more long term in like a three month period or like a six month period where I have goals that I need to achieve in each of these paths. Be it like I recently published a book, which was, again, a path in my other 25% where I had this goal that I need to get this done within the next year. With health, I'm on this low carb diet that I'm still trying to understand what it all means. So it's basically making progress with, you know, understanding what it means, being more active, figuring out how to eat healthy, but still stick to my roots of Indian food because I can't eat salads every day. Um, So figuring that out. So I think in the longer period of time, just figuring out what your goals are and trying to accomplish it however you can. Because if you try to put constraints, it kind of feels like work at the end of the day. And it sucks out all the joy of being actually able to accomplish it. So I also like family, my parents are here right now um, and they're here for like three months. I haven't seen them for three years. So for me, in this period of time, my basic focus is to spend time with them because I don't know when I'll get to spend time with them again. So um, just having those long term goals of like what I need to do and I think what has helped me is like every week I try to pull myself back and see if is, is it heading in the right way? Like in the last week, did I spend too much in certain things that I should not be spending time with? Um, so I think that has kind of helped me level set constantly and have like these periods of time that I can focus on. Tell me about this book. So this book is, um, so I told you my parents were writers are still writers. So, um, their dream was for me to like write i think i'm like i i'm a director i'm a vp they're like great you know what's the big deal everybody does it like but i think um publishing a book was something that they felt like i could do um so this has been like i used to write blogs on linkedin and other small stuff but um i think just putting it all together it's a book of poems. I wouldn't call myself a poet yet because it's still an attempt at just expressing myself. Um, One thing that I've always done since I started my corporate career is um, if I'm frustrated, I try to tend to funnel that frustration towards writing. So because it just gets my frustration out of my head and it's something productive that I don't have to then overthink about it myself or show it on others who don't need to see how frustrated I am. So it's kind of been my creativity outlet for everything that I do. Um, So it's a section of different parts of my life, again, about my family, about who I am, how I'm an introvert. I'm not the loudest. It's called not the loudest person in the room because I'm not the loudest person in the room. Um, I usually take time um, in processing things thinking through what I have to say I don't jump on things which again um, when we talk a little bit more about the biases I think one of the biggest bias that I faced was you need to be vocal in meetings like you need to I'm like why if I'm making my point and if I'm saying anything what's the need for me to shout it out loud so that you guys can hear it like so I think some of these frustrations that I've had, I've tried to channel it towards, you know, my poetry and like just express who I am. And one section is about my dog. I have a golden retriever. So he's a big part of my life. So it's just a little bit of who I am in my life.
1: Where can people find the book? You know, funny
2: thing, like when I wrote it, I really didn't think people would want to buy it. So I really didn't like put the thought of like, where should like, where should I sell it and stuff like that? I just published it. And now people are like, where can I buy? it?" I'm like, okay, I need to figure this out because I just have a bunch of copies at home. So I'm still trying to figure out the selling bit of it. So I'll let you guys know soon.
1: Okay, good. You'll let us know. and We'll yes. share that with our audience. Okay. Let's dive into uh, what you do every day at work, because I don't know that I could um, tell people <laughs> what this means. I'm just going to reread your title of product, digital stores, data, and marketing technology. Okay, what does that mean?
2: So I lead um, all the product management teams in Sephora, which means that we work very closely with our amazing business partners in um, figuring out how to achieve the vision that our business partners set. So if we have a goal of, say, we need to hit conversion or we need to increase sales or... We need to have better partnership with Coles, like our team um, focuses on why it's important, how do we do it, prioritize things, work with our engineering partners in figuring out the resources. There's always this perception that we don't have enough. So within the resources that we do have, what is a way to prioritize um, the things that we do to achieve the business value that um, our company needs?
1: And what is a typical day like?
2: There is no typical day. That's the fun part. Um, It depends on um, where we are in the planning cycle, be it, is it like in the strategy phase where we're deciding what to do for the next couple of years? Is it um, at the same time we have execution for the current roadmap, which we've prioritized? Um, there are new ideas coming in pivoting based on um, market changes what our competitors are doing we have certain things that go well certain things where we figure out we need to learn more Um, so i think product management the whole exciting bit about product management which i love personally is the ambiguity of it there is no i can't give you a formula that says here is how a typical day looks like because I feel like I might get bored. If, if it is that, there's always challenges. And a big part of my typical day-to-day is also making sure my team is happy to come, come to work. I personally believe that if you wake up in the morning and you don't have this dreaded feeling that's like, ugh, I need to like go and work, I think... You'll put in like your passion, and you'll do a better job than waking up and being like, "Oh my God, I need to do some work today." So, um, how do I make them feel like you know they are bringing in value not just to Sephora, but but to themselves, right? So they're growing in their career because let's be real—I don't think all of us are tied to any particular company forever, right? We stick or we stay in a company as long as we feel happy. There's growth, and there is a mutual community feeling that they feel like they belong. Um so my job is also to make sure that I keep that environment and we are able to make each other feel um successful professionally and personally.
1: I want to go back to this idea of how you like divided up your um like your mental capacity and where you put your energy. But talk about it at in the work environment, right? So there's my guess um is that there's always competing priorities in an organization like yours, right? And of course there's Resources, but they're limited, right? They're not, you know, you don't get to just do anything you want. And then we, on top of it, we have this really, really insane marketplace that evolves so quickly, changes so quickly, needs, wants, um, you know, you snap a finger and think everything's different. So, as a leader, how do you uh, manage and lead the team on like what the priorities are that you've all agreed to? But then, what happens when um, somebody's trying to command some of those resources for something that's kind of last minute or a quick pivot, or it must be kind of like almost like a whiplash potentially?
2: So, I think um, for me and I think for our team, we try to make sure the process of how we prioritize remains the same, irrespective of the timing of when the asks come. Because, and when I mean, meet- the process it's basic understanding of what is it that we need to do why do we need to do it why do we need to do it now and is it more important than the other things that we're doing just answering these questions irrespective of the pressure that you're getting that hey, we needed to do this yesterday will just put us in a path forward that is more successful because if you kind of are reactive and you jump onto something just because others are saying it's important and you don't feel like it is, I think you've partially lost the battle there because you are not convinced. So just making sure that we go through the process of answering all these questions and being able to convince this to any person as well, right? Because it's just not you being convinced about it. Your team and everybody who's working on this also needs to be convinced that this is a higher priority than potentially what we were working in the past. And if it is, inner stage that we can pivot and make these changes. So I think that's the approach we take in terms of just prioritization, but also level setting ourselves and anticipating the changes that will come. Because as you know, there's always going to be a change. So how do you accommodate for these changes? And you're actually keeping time aside, knowing that you'll have to pivot because it shouldn't be a surprise for anybody now that my God, there's a change. It's more like Yes, we know there's a change. We have accommodated for it. And here's how we're going to handle it. And a key part, which I think like a few people forget is going back and having a retrospective on were we prepared enough for this change? If no, then how can we do it better for the next time? Like pandemic example. I mean, I'm sure we all take the example of the pandemic, but were we prepared? Maybe not. Right. So will there be another pandemic i hope not but if there is like should we be prepared for it yes right so how do you take the learnings of the past to better be resilient given the economic changes and other things that happen because you don't have a control on all of these but what you have control is your resources so how do you be more resilient knowing that there will be changes in things you can't control right so
1: from a resources perspective and also like a mental um, mindset perspective, it's being prepared for the unexpected. So you're expecting the unexpected. You don't know what the thing is, right? You don't have a crystal ball, but you're just allowing your team and your process and your budgets to um, be ready for what's to come.
2: Yep. Yeah. And seeing if in the past we've done a good job or not And mm-hmm. could there be a better job? Like how much time did we take to pivot? If we need like one month to pivot maybe not how can we we be more efficient in the way we pivot as well because i can't pull 50 people into a room now and have a very expensive meeting in figuring out can we do this or no so i think thinking of meetings and all of this in terms of money also helps like how expensive is your meeting there i know we still think about meeting in terms of time and we have way too many meetings but also like having hundred people in a meeting and counting the salaries of all the people who are there, then is it
1: useful or no? Um, That's a really cool way of thinking about resource, resource management. I don't know that a lot of people do, Um, If they did. There'd be fewer meetings or fewer people at the meetings and people would make decisions a lot faster. I would imagine.
2: Yeah. For me, I think, I think in terms of currency of time in my head, naturally like if i'm having a conversation with someone um it's like is there something coming out of that conversation right and not i don't mean in a very transactional sense even like if i'm feeling happy or i'm getting joy out of this conversation because if it's just a waste of time and if there's nothing coming out of it i try to figure out okay what else could i be doing in this time that i and that i'm doing right now right so um it's kind of i'm training my brain in terms of currency of time um which is also goes back to my original thought process right like how am i investing my brain power and things that add value to me
1: i love that let's dig into something i don't know anything about but i want to learn more about it um you told us that you want to raise a consciousness of the basic biases that women face and ensure We can not only overcome them, but also work towards eradicating them. What does this mean?
2: So I think, you know, as I think through my journey and what I would, you know, the question when people ask, if you go back in time, would you change anything? I know many people say, no, I love what my journey is. I would keep it exactly the way it was. My answer is I would change many, many things. Because knowing what I know right now, I wish I had known some of it before, right? Why not? Like I would have like made sure that all the learnings that I had would have optimized my life much better now. So having said that, another aspect that I think is important is I think we are being very selfish about the problems that we have because we still think about a problem as my problem and we are not sharing it as a our problem or a we problem. So the strength that we put in in solving that is also very siloed because we are just trying to solve for it individually. And some of the examples um, are there not enough women in tech, right? So this is a problem that I think every company is facing. And um, we are still looking at like the hiring cycle, like how many people are in the funnel? um, Do we have enough candidates? Like all of that is great, but the root is that there are not enough people in STEM education, which is funneling all of this. So if Jodi, you think it's a problem, I think it's a problem, 100 other companies think it's a problem. Why is there not an opportunity for all of us to come together and solve for it and mutually benefit for it? Right? We're getting our organizational silos into in front of the problem, which is kind of not helping us solve it faster. So, for me, some of the biases, as I mentioned before, like growing up from the background that I have, I have been taught certain things which is kind of hard to unlearn as I come to a totally different culture. In India, it's you know, you're not, you're advised not to speak in front of elders, you're supposed to listen to the elders speaking, and then you're supposed to speak. It's considered rude if you kind of interrupt in the middle. Um, you're supposed to think through your th- thoughts and then express yourself. Now, having all of that, fast forward 10 years, I'm in the US, in a corporate culture, in a meeting, and people are just talking with, you know, with each other. and I'm like, should I wait? Should I pause? Like, is it rude? Should I interrupt? I think all of these things just were questions in my head that I didn't have answers to. So I think... um how we talk about personalizing customer journey, we should look at personalizing our own individual journey and knowing that I have done this, how can I share this with others so that people don't have to go through the same thing that I have. I mean, I always say there are enough people making mistakes. You don't have to make your own. It's you can You can learn from other people's mistakes as well. So I think a combination of all these thoughts is what I mean by you know, eradicating the biases that women face um, in an environment, be it professional or personal, and just awareness of what these biases mean um, and the journeys that they have been through so that we can solve for it together and not be selfish about our problems.
1: So how do you bring together, you know, the world's biggest corporations or um, leaders to make change? So I think
2: the step change that I have seen in the last couple of years is people just talking with each other and sharing that this is the journey that they've been through in that problem statement and what progress they've made, right? And um, I'm like on a couple of other member teams like from other companies um we have like a cohort of women who we share like what's happening how how have they solved the problems together what we're doing so i think the first step is just before we make it more formal just understanding and getting together a group of like-minded people who also believe in this mission and who understand why it's important Um, and i'm definitely seeing that trend pop up everywhere where Uh, people just are willing to share more and um, are willing to work towards with each other rather than individually the second step is um, making meaningful step changes in how we make progress right so having educational courses or training or coaching or just letting people know how to be vulnerable so that they can actually share that it's okay to be vulnerable, right? Like people consider me as very emotional. I know like I've gotten feedback from a couple of my managers that I need emotional support, um, you know, so just letting people know that it's okay. And it's it's actually a strength that what you have is who you are, um, I think is the next step. And third, I think there's much more opportunity that I'm thinking of in terms of making a, making a bigger change, which I need help from. Um, all the brain power here to like how to make it happen in um you know a lot much bigger scenario than what it is today.
1: Let's talk about this and let's actually ask for help. Um, Sneha, like, how can people who might be listening who are leaders in their organization, how can they reach out to you to start to build this community of change? So I think
2: um, the easiest way is LinkedIn for now. I am working on something behind the scenes to make it more formal and more streamlined um but i as i mentioned i'm looking for help to make it more stronger than what it is right now and um so right now i think linkedin is the best way um again the key takeaway from this is if there is if they're looking for making a meaningful change and they want to partner with like-minded people and again, not be selfish about the problems. How do we come together and address it as a community rather than as individual organizations?
1: Awesome. So you can find Sneha on LinkedIn and um, she'll be receptive to your inquiry if you want to help to solve this. So it sounds like we're probably not selfish as much with the problem. We're probably just selfish with the solution, right? It's a solution that we need to be really collaborating on.
2: Yeah, I mean, as long as you think it's a much bigger problem than you, right? So, um, and I think there's no dearth of solutions. It's just that there's more power to a solution if it is at a larger scale. So how do we make this solution much more bigger than it is so that all the resources that can be put onto it is channeled in the right way so that your resources are not also diluted and tackling it in multiple ways? So if we are putting it in, it's kind of like product management, right? Like you have multiple things that you work on, but how do you put in your resources to the top priority thing so that you're able to move the needle faster? So I think that has also helped me in making sure that we are looking at these societal problems also in a similar way.
1: So my last question before we move into our after show, you presented this incredibly logical and clear view of how you put your energy and your time at the beginning of this conversation. Um, Now let's talk about the subject of um, success and how um, it really can kind of seduce you away from other parts of your life, right? So, you know, you work at this incredible organization, right? Like Sephora is like where everybody wants to be. Before this, you were at Walmart, another huge retailer leading the way, Um, I would imagine that when you reach your goals and get accolades in these organizations, you probably crave more success, right? And to see projects like go the way that you dreamed or even better than you dreamed, you probably crave more success. So tell me how you address that when you are also so clear about the other things that are important to you with how you spend your time.
2: So I think naturally I tend to think of what's next as soon as I hit the goal. But I also, I pause and I identify that a milestone has been reached and progress has been made before I run on to my next one. I think a feedback that I got very early in my life, somebody told me, you look like you're you're a hamster running on a wheel. It's not going anywhere. Like you're just running and it's just like a wheel that is turning, which kind of always resonates with me because... I figured I was like that right like I always was running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and then at the end of the day I was like where am I going like it just was like way too much for me to like handle so I've kind of learned to pause um celebrate the progress and I always say progress is more important than success because progress is the way to lead into success right because if you have a very clear definition of success there's also a very clear definition of a failure so then you're it's either positive or negative which i think either inflates you or deflates you very quickly so how do we kind of make sure we think about every single thing as progress because even if the outcome is not what you expect you're still learning something which is progress so um I think about every milestone as progress, but also how is it helping me in achieving my long-term goals? Because in the short term, if you have to compromise on certain things because you have a long-term goal, it's fine. And I think sometimes we are too short-sighted in what we want next that we kind of forget what we want in the long run. So I'm okay to make compromises in the short term if you know it aligns with my long-term goals. And I'm able to logically think if that makes sense or no.
1: What advice would you give to someone just getting into the technology industries? I think be yourself.
2: Don't try to change too much based on what others are telling you you should be. Um, Learn from it, but try to make sure you're authentic and you don't lose sight of yourself. And be okay to express this is who you are because don't expect others to read your mind. Right? Just say it. Like, don't assume people will know who you are. This is who you are. This is what works best for you. Say it.
1: Okay. Last question. What's your favorite thing to do to unplug or recharge? Play with my dog, Right, as I mentioned, or
2: I'm into like coloring, basically anything creative or cooking new recipes.
1: And what is your dog's name? Leo. Leo? Yeah. And is Leo there right now?
2: He is downstairs and I made sure he does not come in because he will make sure his presence is known.
1: Sneha, I'm getting my first dog ever in a few weeks. Oh, I am so excited for you.
2: This is gonna be amazing.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. I feel like a little kid I tell everybody what <laughs> I see. <laughs> You're sure that it's gonna be life changing in the best way. I'm so excited. Well, this has been an amazing conversation and I feel like there's so many things you said that I would want to put up on my wall (laughs) and just look at and remember. And I'm sure our listeners feel the same. Thank you so much for having me. So thank you so much for Sneha for joining us for our 228th episode. If you'd like this episode, please rate and review. As always, make sure you are following us on your favorite podcast platform and Instagram to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and all the fun we have along the way. Thanks for joining. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.